I have a word for you this morning. It definitely is a word from the Lord. And uh, so are you all ready? Wonderful. I want to just talk a little bit about uh, something that I have endeavored to live my life by. I don't always get it right, but it's one thing that I do try. In the worst of times, it has always been my conscious desire to respond even in negative circumstances in a certain way. And uh, at the sickest time in my life, the sickest time, the two times uh, for a good period of time, um, I was conscious of the fact that there was someone that even, even by my response, even feeling terrible, and I didn't always get it right, there was someone that I wanted to please even with my response to some very negative circumstances. And I was conscious of the fact that I didn't want to lose the plot. I didn't want to fall into unbelief. I didn't want to become a negative example of somebody of a leader, but to maintain a positive response in every way that I could. And uh, I may be giving away the title of the message this morning, but in the preamble, I, I want to say it's natural for us to want to please people. And sometimes it's a good thing. It's one thing I was listening to Bev the other day, and maybe Bev sowed the seeds for this message, but somebody was asking the difference between Amy's two boys, Eli and Noah. And Amy said, well, Eli's very sensitive, and he's a little bit of a people pleaser. In other words, he will respond to a reprimand or whatever, and he will respond so positively because he wants to please his parents. And she said, but <laughs> Noah is not a people pleaser at all. You know, he just doesn't give a hoot, you know. He's just, you know, he's just, you know, he's just a different child. So we have to teach him a bit, you know. So, but anyway, and so, you know, there's a desire in us. People, somebody has written a book called The Five Love Languages. I've never read it, but I've been told that my main love language is to do something for the person that I love and the ones that I love. So I'm always trying to do something, and that's my way of telling you. So I will say it verbally, I love you, but I will also try and show you by the things that I do. So it motivates me to do what I do. And that should be the reality for us as Christians, to want to please God. So the title this morning of the message is Pleasing God. And so we need to live lives that are praiseworthy and pleaseworthy, pleasing unto the Lord. Is that okay? And so... If we think about God, everything about Him is amazing. You know, He's absolutely incredible. The things that He does for us, and it's God's desire, absolutely because of His love for us, to please us. And that's why David says, you know, he talks about in His presence and at His right hand, and he said, there are pleasures evermore. Another verse talks about the fact that we drink from the river of His delights, you know. And so God delights to delight us. God delights to please us. Now, everything about salvation should please us. Isn't that right? It should be so amazing to us. And so God does what He can to please us. So the Bible tells us that every good and every perfect gift comes down from the Father of the heavenly lights. So if we take that verse, we can fit everything in our lives into that. For example, we can say, my job comes from God. Because he's pleased to give me one. We can say my business. We can say my wife, my family are all good gifts from God. And God does it to, to please us, to bless us. Now, you know, it's the attitude that we should take. It's the attitude that we do have. 
And so, so the verse that I was referring to was Psalm 1611. In his presence is fullness of joy, and at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. So because God is the source of all good things and the things that we've received, we can go on. He's given us life itself. He's given us our homes. And not only that, he's given us and he's promised us mega blessings in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Isn't that right? And those mega blessings in the heavenly realms have got earthly, tangible, physical counterparts to it. And so from everything, from 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, where it says, you know, behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called, we, I should be called the Son of God, and that is exactly who I am. And so that pleasing of God, it's just absolutely amazing. So in response, He deserves all our honor, all our worship, and uh, there should be, come on church, there should be an endeavor on our behalf to respond to all that God gives us and the pleasure with which He does it to want to please Him. It's the most natural thing for a husband and a wife, boyfriend and girlfriend, to want to please each other. It comes out of a heart of love. And so the fact that you're here this morning tells me that you want to please God. The fact that you give tells me that you want to please God. And it should be a motivating factor in our lives. And, uh, you know, David said, Every day I will bless you, Lord, and I will praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and His greatness is unsearchable. Psalm 145, verses 2 and 3. And uh, the trick comes when circumstances are against us. That's when it counts. Everything counts when it's difficult. Isn't it right? When you've got plenty of money, it's easy to tithe. Well, sometimes it's harder. But, I mean, you know, it's easy to be faithful and committed when the weather's good, you know, and when everything else is good and when you've got nothing else to do that you count better than and you can come to church. And so it's when it's difficult that it counts is to continue to please God. And whole of society is loaded against us living to please God. You know, society can dictate and determine. And, uh, you know, there was a day when it was popular to be Christian. But that's not true any longer. And you can see how in the world it's becoming less and less fashionable to be Christian, especially if they determine that you are a fundamental Christian. In other words, that you believe fundamentally what the Bible teaches. So you can't call out sin anymore because then, you know, you're not being a citizen of the world. You're not being this. You're not being, you're being judgmental. You're being whatever. And so it's not popular for us to call a certain thing sin. And, um, you know, we like the programs on TV, HGTV. And um, it's quite interesting to me that a lot of those home renovators are Christians. Did you know that? It's really beautiful to see. And the most successful ones are Christians. And, of course, they have to throw in, and I know it's unpopular to say, but they have to throw in a homosexual or lesbians or whatever because, you know, you know to keep it politically correct and everything like this. But it is so biased the other way now that there's this particular couple, Bev went online because we kept saying, yeah, well, they talk the right language. And then they interviewed, they brought into their programs some Christian, notable Christian authors to make comments and things. And Bev was telling me, check who this is. This is Max Lucado. 
And I was going, what? Max Lucado, the great Christian author. And I'm going like, and they're interviewing him. And so Bev went in and checked and checked and checked. And she found out that God has supremely blessed this couple. And, you know, they, they've done really well through the program. And they've now moved on and done other things. But then there's another um, two guys, I think she said, that were doing a particular program. And what happened was the father of this guy, they were potentially being very successful in America. The father of this guy decided to call for a prayer meeting outside, I think it was the White House, if I get the facts right. And in the preamble to the prayer meeting, he spoke out against, for example, abortion and things like that and called it for what it was and said, we need to pray for this country and we need to pray. This young guy, uh, him and his friend, or partner, whoever it is, you know, straight guys, um, doing this particular program, he just attended the prayer meeting his father was leading, but because he was there, HGTV, that channel, canceled all of their renovation programs just because he was present at a prayer meeting where they labeled sin, sin. So the world has swung the other way is what I'm trying to say. We need to be conscious of the fact that there is a God, you know, and he's bigger than all of that. And so we need to determine whether we're going to live to please people or to please God. So it becomes a little bit more challenging. So yeah, the world is happy if you come to church and then just shut up. Don't say anything about what we're doing. You know, just fit in and be a citizen of the world and don't preach the gospel and, you know, and all roads lead to Rome and every religion and all this kind of thing. I didn't say it. Jesus said, I am the way. No man comes to the Father except through me, through the Lord Jesus Christ. It is an exclusive gospel. He didn't send Jesus and then all these other roads. Well, then why did Jesus come? You know, so it is an exclusive gospel, but we didn't say it that way. But we need to just continue to prove it with our lives as well as with our words. And so, you know, Paul talked about the fact that when he started to preach the pure gospel, people came against him and he said, look, you need to judge for yourself. He said it in Galatians chapter 1. And uh, he said, you need to check out for yourself. Is it right to please God? Or to please man. He said, if I fear man, then I'm not a servant of God. And so there will come a time in your life when you have to make decisions. When I was ministering in Egypt, I was asking them what it was like as born-again, spiritual believers to conduct their lives in a country that's predominantly Muslim. They said, if you're a born-again Christian and they find out you're fired, you will not have a job. They fire you. So this is in a country, you know, uh, <laughs> this is in a country, well, anyway, let's, let's carry on. And so what a lot of Christians do over there, because they rise up and they say, we won't be clandestine Christians. Some of them tattoo crosses, crucifix on their hands here. And they say, because every hand I shake, every Muslim hand I shake, I want them to see who I am. And I said, what's the reaction? They said, often when we shake hands and they see, they spit on the cross. This is, but they've made a decision. We please God. We please God. We don't please man. We live for God. Now, we're not in that. It's a little bit more sinister. It's a little bit more, um, you know, covert than that. It's a bit more hidden, but we all face the same things. Now, without being, you know, a Bible puncher and without all of those kind of things, but always having in our hearts you know, the readiness to give a, an account and a reason for the hope that is in us. We need to share the word. We need to speak the word, okay? 
But the enemy has tried to silence us. I'm, I'm going on too long with the, the introduction. But does everybody understand what I'm saying? And the difficulty gets when we try to be a people pleaser rather than a God pleaser. Because one will bring rejection. One will maybe even bring persecution. You know, funny looks and things like that. Many times I will get chatting to somebody and I can tell they're really enjoying the company and the conversation. Then comes the dreaded question. Oh, by the way, what do you do? And I know the moment I tell them, everything's going to change. The conversation's going to come to an end. For a start, they're not going to tell me any more dirty jokes. <laughs> because they're convicted. Yeah, they go. But then the conversation goes, eh, 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 and it dries up, and they turn around and walk away. So normally I tell them, no, I'm not going to tell you what I do. And then they go, why? Was it, you do drugs or something? No, 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 nothing like that. And I'm just enjoying the conversation. Because if I tell you what I do, you're going to, then you get a really weird look. And eventually, you know, I will tell them, no, no, I'm a pastor. Then they start to react. And I'll say, you see, that's why I didn't want to tell you. We were having a good chat and tell then, you know. I didn't crawl out of cheese. I didn't fall from the moon. I'm a Christian and, uh, you know, born-again Christian. I'm spirit-filled. But it doesn't mean that I can't have a conversation with you. But the thing is, it does convict. You understand what I'm saying? And so, you know, it's time for us to really understand that we need to live our lives pleasing God. Amen. But I think I'm speaking to the converted here, right? Eh? Yeah. Amen. Amen. Paul talks about something. First of all, let's talk about Jesus. He spoke about the Pharisees doing their religious duties, you know, their prayer and their fasting, and he says they want to be seen by men. And uh, they were people pleasers. You know, Paul talks about it in Colossians, for example, Colossians chapter 3, verse 22. Two, in the King James, good old-fashioned King James, he talks about rendering eye service. So he was saying, you know, servants, when you work for your masters, in other words, employees, when you're working for your bosses, don't just, you know, put on a show when the boss is around. He says, that's eye service. You know, you work consistently all the time, whether they see you or not, because you work conscious of the Lord. So whatever you do in word or deed, do it all in the name of of Jesus. So whether they're looking at you or not looking at you, you're doing right. You have integrity. You're on time. You're doing your job diligently, you know, because you are being paid, you know. And so conscious of the fact that we're doing it for the Lord. Paul says this in First Thessalonians, but as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak not as pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. And so Paul says, you know, we discharge this duty diligently because we want to please God. So we preach the gospel. Come on, church, if you share the gospel with somebody, it's pleasing to God. If you want to be a God pleaser, somewhere along the line, use, create, make opportunities to share the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I love that DVD that we watched about the revival in Iran. The first contact with the person, they say discipleship is beginning. So immediately they start looking away um, to introduce the Lord and to disciple people and bring them to a place where they make a decision for Jesus and then the discipleship continues. So the benefits of pleasing God are amazing. You know, no matter how hard we try, you know, what do you give a person who has everything? You know, somebody's got everything, you know, so it's like, it's very hard to buy them a present, you know. How can we, as limited, finite, mortal 
potentially still with sin human beings, how can we please this almighty, wonderful, holy God who's given us everything? And yet we can. That's the beautiful thing. And God takes pleasure in it. God is pleased with it. But the benefits of pleasing God are amazing. And uh, there's a principle in Proverbs 16 verse 7 that says, When a man's ways please the Lord, he even makes his enemies to be at peace with him. Should I read that again? It's a principle. When a man's ways please the Lord, he even makes his enemies to be at peace with him. You can think, and not only just, you know, enemies out there that want to kill you, but any enemy, anything that's an enemy. Right now we've got a nice big enemy. Not a nice big enemy, but you know what I mean, a big enemy. But God will cause our enemies to be at peace with us if our ways please God. So there's a way to please God. And so it's interesting for us, you know, the Bible tells us what pleases God. It also tells us what doesn't please God. And Proverbs 6, verses 16 to 19 tells us that the things, the seven things that God hates, you know, and these things that displease God, a haughty look and, uh, you know, prideful look and so on and so on. But the Bible also tells us what pleases God. So I just want to very quickly just run through it because each is a sermon in itself. I'm just going to give you just little bullets and you can go and study it further. But there's possibly more. I've tried to just condense it. But at least six ways to please God. Now, many of you have probably, because you're so well taught, your brains are running ahead of mine and uh, my mouth, and um, you're already there. And, uh, and so Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 tells us, without faith, it is impossible to please God. The converse is also then true that with faith, it is extremely likely that we will please God. Amen. And so it's a good place to start. He says, without faith, it is impossible to please Him. You know, the preamble, you've got to understand, you've got to read from verse 1. Now, faith is the substance of things hopeful, evidence and not seen. But he continues now here in verse 6, and he says, For he that cometh to God, two parts of faith. First of all, must believe that he is. I think that's the King James, that he is. Believe that he is. What? Is everything he says he is. Is that right? Does everything he says he will do. So you need to believe that God is. In other words, first of all, the NIV says that He exists. But it's more than exists. You need to believe the fact that God is who He says He is. He can do what He says He can do. Amen? God is. God is. God is. God is. So faith is that. I think I shared it at the first service. The lowest common denominator that fits every human being is the commodity called faith. Because if it was good looks, I think it was just me and Andre would make it, eh? Yeah, exactly. And I mean, if it was money, you know, it would exclude us because the super rich would then have their way with God. You know what I'm saying? But God excluded every other thing, you know, because if it was works, well, what about the people that can do less than others? You know, that we can't do what that person can do. I may not be as gifted. I might not have the time. I just may not, you know, maybe I'm an invalid. And, and I can't do work. So God just reduced it to the lowest common denominator. And he says, if you approach me in faith, that pleases me. It puts aside everything else, everything else, everything else. Because the smallest, youngest little child can believe. Amen. Have you noticed the faith of little children? 
And it, it doesn't matter if it's the oldest person in the most fragile condition. It's a heart response to God that He has created in us of believing God and something changes. Amen. Amen. So faith, what grace of God to say, I'll tell you what, you can please me by having faith in me. Isn't it? And so he says, you know, must believe that he is, number one. And number two, number two, that he's a rewarder. Everybody say he's a rewarder. So he rewards me. He's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. And uh, that diligent doesn't mean sweating it out and just going, oh, God, I seek you. It's that consistent, constant, you know, seeking after God, that building of a relationship with the Lord by means of that commodity called faith. God says, then you will please me. And so God is who he says he is. It's amazing that in Genesis chapter 5, verse 24, it's repeated in the Bible, the verse before this, verse 5. Genesis chapter 5, verse 24, talks about this. And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Now, it's really interesting that we all read that with glamorous eyes when we cast our eye back to that day. Whoa, it must have been awesome to walk with God. You know, it wasn't such easy days those days. You know, the reason why he walked with God is because he couldn't drive. There was no cars. We got nice cars these days. But you understand what I'm saying? But the word there, walked with God, he lived his life consistently with God in a relationship with God. Amen? And uh, then he was not because God took him. And, uh, you know, if we understand from that that he just had his own private little caught-up session, and there he was with God. And the implication is that he bypassed death. He prophesied in the book of Jude concerning the coming of God, the coming of Jesus. It's really interesting. But the Bible tells us that he was one who walked with God, and he pleased God. And so our walk needs to be consistent and pleasing to God. Amen? Everybody say, I believe. believe. Now, that's a whole message. So I don't want to go on any further. But the second is, okay, so let me just put a practical application to the first one. So every time there's a negative set of circumstances and it's adverse, you know, which we all go through and things come against us and it's contrary, you know, to a good life or to the word or to prophecy or whatever, we immediately have a decision whether we are going to now believe God or we're going to believe the circumstances. We now have a situation where we can say, and to put it into the language of my message this morning, you have an opportunity to say, well, am I going to please God or not? And if I respond in faith, God is pleased. Which tells me also that God is sometimes displeased. That's why I said I'm, I'm really conscious of that and I try to live my life. I, I think it's a motivation for me. Is that I really want to please God. Every time I prepare a message for you, you know, I will ask Bev, I'll say, how was the message this morning? I'll sometimes say to Shreen, how was that word? Did it go over? And it's not to get their approval because for me, I'm conscious of the fact that I'm doing it for the Lord. You know, I want him to be pleased, you know. And if I put in effort and I put in prayer and I put in, you know, I do this study and I say, okay, well, Lord, I did my best. And he goes, it's awesome. We need to live our lives in a way that pleases God. We need to be conscious of the fact. I want to please God. I want to please Him. I really do. Amen? I really do want to please the Lord. And then so faith is one way. So the second one is being spiritually minded pleases God. Not naturally minded. Not carnally minded, Paul says in Romans chapter 8. So let me just read those two verses for you. Romans 8, 6 to 8. We're getting there. He says, for to be carnally minded is death. 
but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Now, there's a whole teaching that can go into this, how to be spiritually minded. But basically, it's to think according to what the Word says. It's to think about yourself, what God's Word says about yourself. It's to approach life the way that God sees that we should see life. Is that okay? And that should be the conscious part of our thinking. And so to be spiritually minded is to have our minds on what the Spirit desires, not on what the old natural John desired, you know? And so he says, The carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, not necessarily the Ten Commandments, but the law, the principle of God. And it says, nor indeed can be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So if we walk in the Spirit by being, you know, spiritually minded, what does spiritually minded mean? It's to have in mind the things that God says I should be doing. So like this morning, when you registered early in the week and said, I want to be in church on Sunday, that was spiritual mindedness. Amen. Amen. Spiritual mindedness is, oh, the offering, what's in my heart to give. That's spiritual mindedness. Spiritual mindedness is everything that God says. Is that okay? And to have it into the top part of your mind. Because if we give into to the other desires, it takes us to the root of death. If we give ourselves to that, it's the root of life. Now, right now, right now already, if you're clever, and you are because you're in ACF, you've already picked something up, and that is in our desire to please God and to live according to His Word and employ and live out the principles of God's Word, not only does it please God, but actually it's the best way to live. In other words, I start to discover what pleases God is really very good for my life. In other words, it's like the best thing that I could do. I will be the most blessed, the most fulfilled if I do what the Lord desires. And I will find, actually, it wasn't a chore. It wasn't difficult to please God. It's so much for my own good and for my own. I am so fulfilled. I've grown and matured as a person. And that pleases God. Is that okay? Not when we're gritting our teeth and go, I've got to go to church. Otherwise, Pastor John's going to phone <laughs> Better go, that was the church police are going to phone, you know, to be spiritually minded. The Bible contrasts many places these two mindsets, many places. And there's one mindset, and I like what um, Morris is quoting, let this same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. Amen? So that's a whole sermon. Third one, the fear of the Lord pleases God. I don't know when I was thinking, sometime in this week, I was thinking about the first time these guys broke into the church. And I mean, I, I was so horrified, not that the church was broken into, but that someone would have so little fear of God to rob a church. You know, gone are the days that people regarded as, even the unsaved, even the worldly would regard the church as a holy place. Now there's so little fear of God, they will break into churches, steal from churches. Okay, I'm going to take it a step further. There's so little fear of God that even Christians will steal from the church. Not here, of course, watching via live stream somewhere. But there's so little fear of God that people will steal with abandonment. People will do things with reckless abandon with no fear of God. We've got to understand that when Psalm 140 
7 verse 11 tells us the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear Him, in those whose hope is in His mercy. And at the end of the day, that fear is not a petrified fear, but it is a reverential awe. It is a respect for God. Because at the end of the day, we do answer to Him. doesn't matter what grace you preach. At the end of the day, we will answer. Everybody will be accountable. At the end of the day. Is that okay? And the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And there's so many verses in the Bible on the fear of the Lord. But we need to have an accurate understanding of what that is. And that's just a reverential, deep respect for God. So the proper fear and respect of God will motivate us to avoid sin. Exodus 20 verse 20. I I don't want to sin because I fear God. I respect God. I mean, Paul even says it like this. Woman, have your heads covered. Hmm. Not many of those here. No, he's, he's talking about being in submission to your husbands. He said, for the sake of the angels who in your meetings. There should be such a reverence that even the angels around us, that in our relationships, and husbands and wives, that there be a proper order in our relationships, conscious of even the fact that angels are present. Because they are submitted. And they've come to submit to us as heirs of salvation. And if they're coming to submit to us and they see no submission in us, what do they think? There's a lack. There's a lack in the church. I'm not even talking about in the world. You expect the world to live like the world. But in the church, there's a lack of the consciousness of the fear of God. No, I don't want to do that because no, I respect God. I, I love Him too much to do that. The fear of the Lord. Fearing God allows us to rely on Him and revere Him even more. You know, which can deepen our love for him. Is that okay? That's a sermon in itself, all right? So let's go on to number four. Is everybody following me? Yes, no, I'm just saying you please God. Is that okay? You, you do please God. So number four, it says following Jesus pleases God. And what particular aspects of it? I want to just bring out one or two. But Matthew 17 verse 5. This is the account of the transfiguration. And I think in all the transfiguration accounts, in all the Gospels, it says this, where the cloud envelops him, you know, Moses and Elijah are there, just, you know, putting all the Gospels together. And the voice comes out of heaven, which was actually out of the cloud. And, uh, you know, Peter starts saying, let's build three tabernacles. But then the voice comes from heaven or out of the cloud. And God says, this, this is my beloved son. And when he says it, Moses and Elijah disappear. And he says, it's not the law. And it's not the prophets, it's the son. You know, and he says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear he, him. And the thing is, when God said that, he wasn't only speaking to Jesus. Because this was the fulfillment of, and I don't want to give you too much detail, but Moses stood up. I think it was around about Deuteronomy 8, somewhere around the 18, 8, somewhere around there. Where Moses said, God is going to raise up for himself. A prophet from amongst you, brethren, from Israel, like unto me. And he says, him you need to listen to. You need to hear, because you're not listening to me. (laughs) You know? And he said, to him you need to listen. And this was God saying, this is the prophet. My son. Hebrews 1. You know? Hear him. Why did he say, hear he him? Why did he say that? This is the one that Moses said, you need to listen to him. So come on, listen to this one. But when God said that, he was speaking to Christ, but he was speaking into Christ. He was speaking to all of us potentially and saying, you're in the Son. I'm pleased with you. 
It, it's true. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 6, He has made us to be accepted in the Beloved. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Woo! Amen. So the moment you got saved and stepped into Christ, God said, oh, I'm so pleased. Amen. In fact, all of heaven is so pleased, even the angels are dancing yeah. and rejoicing. So the potential to be in Christ, immediately we're pleasing God. So that's number one. But then from there on, if we look at the life of Jesus, if we use his life as a pattern, we start to see how to please God. And so one of the things that we notice about Jesus, of course, is that his whole modus operandi, his whole purpose in every way was to be obedient to God, his Father. Even though equal, he was obedient to God. And in this sense, he said, I'm fulfilling all righteousness. Once I become aware of what his will is for me, I do it. So at his baptism, he says, I fulfilled all righteousness. But all the way through his life, when he was crucified, just before in the Garden of Gethsemane, he said, nevertheless, not my will. You know, if you're asking me, let this cup pass for me. This is, this is a tough one. But not my will, your will be done. And so we see that absolute obedience to God. That's in Luke 22, verses 42. That absolute obedience. But um, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 21 says, May God make you complete in every good work to do His will, working in you what is well-pleasing in His sight. Through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So it's following Jesus, doing what Jesus would do. I think it's somewhere in, well, I, I know it started in John chapter 5, but it was also again in John chapter 8, you know, several places where Jesus said, I'm always looking at my Father. Always. I'm always looking to Him. And you know, the things that I've been saying to you, you're marveled at, you're amazed at, and you say it's great authority. I just want to tell you, every single word, I heard Him speak. And I'm just repeating what He said. I know you're amazed at the miracles, the blind eyes, and the walking on the water, but I constantly look at Him to see what His will is. And what I see Him do, I do. Now we, we, we've got an example, a physical example. Jesus was looking into the Spirit. Yes, we can, but even from the pages of the Word, we can look at Jesus and we can say, now what would Jesus do here? What would you like me to do? The most accurate words of knowledge, the most accurate prophecies I've ever received is when I've sat back quietly and I've said, okay, Lord, what do you want me to say? Because I internalize and I look at him. That's when I get names and situations and all kinds of things. And it's like, oh, thank you, Jesus. Because he was going, I was just waiting for you to ask, to look at me. Is that okay? Am I making sense? Are you getting something? And so it's that life of obedience. Now, the Apostle Paul talks about the fact for us, of course, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 tells us this. But now you've got to understand that Romans 12 comes after 1, 2, 3, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, and chapters 11. In the whole book of Romans, he's just unveiling these mercies of God. So in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, then he says, Therefore, brothers, in view of the preceding 11 chapters, in view of God's mercy, he says, I encourage you to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God. Okay, so it's not just giving yourself to God and saying, Yeah, my God, I'm a living sacrifice. He says, I want you to give yourself holy and acceptable. So I want to give yourself holy 
then you're acceptable. And I like what he says, for this is your reasonable, reasonable act of service. So reason it out, figure it out, work it out, because he's talking using a little bit of noggin as well, you know, a bit of corpology, you know. Um, think it through. The most reasonable thing that I can do in view of all God's mercies is to say, here I am and I'm living right, and I give my body to your living sacrifice. He doesn't want it dead. He wants it alive. Amen? Amen. Then he says, the result is in verse 2, then, then you'll be able to. It's like so many people going, well, what's God's will for my life? Well, do verse 1. No, no, no. Do verse 1. Then you will be able to. Oh, well, in verse 2 he says, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's why it's a reasonable act of service. That you may prove by experience, okay, what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, you've got to read in the NIV. It says, and what is his pleasing, pleasing will. Is that okay? In other words, what pleases God. And so, living like Jesus, we just need to just continue to renew our minds and not being conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Then, then you will be able to test and approve what is his good, pleasing, and acceptable will. Then, only then. Are you good? And so, we carry on. And then, I'm on number five. So, Come on, church. It should be our desire, more and more than what it is now, to live a life pleasing to God. And of course, obedience pleases God. We learn that from Jesus. But let's look at the case of Saul, where Samuel said to him, because God said to him, when you get hold of the king of Amalek and you go and defeat him, you destroy everything. You don't take anything, because that was a kind of offering to God. You know, the first thing that Saul did. And uh, when uh, it was done, what Samuel was going to do was going to come and then he was going to make an offering and say, thank you, Lord, for defeating our enemies through the hands of the appointed anointed king. And when he gets there, he has sheep bleating and cattle lowing and the sound of partying. And then he sees the king of Amalek walking around, you know, larger than life. And he's going like, what, what, what is this? And then Saul, on top of it, goes and starts the sacrifice himself because, you know, the prophet was taking too long. And so he went and he moved into an office that was not his. And so, you know, Samuel said, what is this? And he said, well, you know, us and the people, we thought this would be a good offering to bring to God. And he said, God doesn't want sacrifices and offerings. He wants obedience. To heed is better than the fat of rams to obey, you know. And he said, because the disobedience is as the sin of witchcraft. I mean, it's quite strong, isn't it? And so obedience really pleases God. Obey his word. Obey the obvious written word. Obey the instructions. Obey. You know, in the Old Testament, we'd say obey the laws. You know, these laws in the sense of principles full up in the New Testament. So, you know, so many Christians want to know the nitty-gritty and the specifics of God. You know, now I'm just trying to understand what is God's will. Well, read the Bible. It's full of verses to tell you. Verse after verse, read the apparent. Then God will reveal the secret hidden. So obedience pleases God. So it says God has pleasure in uprightness. Anyway, let's continue. The last one, there's another gift that the Lord likes. I mean, He really, really is pleased with this particular gift. And um, I don't know, it just seems to bring more pleasure to God the tougher it is. 
Not that he's vindictive or anything like us, but really it just shows the extent of our determination and the depth of our love And is when, well, let me read the verse to you. It's in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 15 to 16. It says, Therefore by him let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips. That's the sacrifice of praise. The fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. But do not forget to do good and to share. Let's share with your life and substance with others. For with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. How many of you knew there were so many verses about pleasing God in the Bible? And, and there's still a few more. I just, you know, was trying to be conscious of the time. Do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. Amen. Because sometimes it is a sacrifice. Sometimes it's a sacrifice of convenience. Sometimes it's a sacrifice of substance. But God says, listen, when it's tough, bring that sacrifice of praise. The fruit of your lips, continually be praising me, praising. Because let's face it, it's not always roses all the time. You know, it's not always easy all the time. But, you know, it's almost the sense that the cost to us brings pleasure to God. Not that he delights in our suffering, is that he delights in seeing how deeply rooted the word is in us. How much it's confirmed in our hearts. Amen. And so I just felt to share that with you this week because it's really easy when things are contrary for us to just slip and slide a little bit, you know. But I think we need to become more determined than ever before, and especially, you know, in the context of not even COVID, in the way the world is going today, because it's unpopular to um, talk about sin. And I saw it on TV the other day, and they're looking at, well, they were looking at making it law, for example, forcing me that if homosexuals or gays come to me and say, we want to marry, I have to marry them. And I will not. Uh, there's no ways. I mean, what about love? Well, love says tell them the truth. Yeah. Is that okay? And I, I just won't. I will not do it. I'll say you can go home affairs there. That guy there, he gets paid. He doesn't care what you believe. You can go there. But me, sorry. Amen? I was asked once to do a wedding and the couple was straight. But I tell you about 90% of the guests there were all not straight. And I, it was, I, I, they were so uncomfortable with me. So uncomfortable. I was loving. I wasn't condemnatory. I wasn't judgmental. I wasn't anything. But I did this couple's wedding soundly Christian. Straight down the line. With all the love and whatever, you know. And uh, when I left, I got up and I greeted the bride and groom. And I turned around and, you know, the, it was quite a big wedding. And I stood up and I just greeted everyone. I said, bless you all. And I left, and as I got out the door, someone shouted, Goodbye, and remember, Satan loves you. So I stopped and turned around, and I said, No, he doesn't. <laughs> doesn't like me at all. There was a few sniggers, and it went quiet, and then I left. Are you with me? Somewhere along the line, it will cost. But, you know, we have to determine. Now, we don't go out looking for persecution. But what we do is we have to stand on the truth, no matter how unpopular it is. But at the same time, you know, we... You know, if you're always late for work and your boss shouts at you, you can't say he's persecuting you from being a Christian. <laughs> you preach the gospel in your lunchtime if necessary, you know, if, if it's without being a Bible. You know what I'm saying? Just doing everything right. If you do it right, the Bible says even your enemies will reconcile with you. Amen? And uh, so we just need to live right and live conscious of pleasing God. God is pleased with us preaching the gospel. 
God is pleased with us praying for one another. Everything that he's told us to do, God is pleased with worship. God is pleased with church. God is pleased when we lay hands on the sick and, and we see them recover. And even if we don't see them recover, God is still pleased because we're exercising faith. Is that right? God is pleased when we're on time for work. God is pleased when we put in a full day's work. God is pleased, you know, when we conduct ourselves nicely in queues in the shops and things like that. God is pleased. God is pleased. God is really pleased when you don't swear at the taxi driver. God is really chuffed with that, you know. God is pleased when we conduct ourselves as Christians. Amen. God is pleased. Now, I don't know about you, but I want to attract the pleasure of God. Because the pleasure of God comes like favor. Everybody, it got really popular at one stage, and then I was preaching the opposite, and it was very unpopular. I mean, it sounded really hard. I, I, I kind of stopped halfway. But I started to preach about the favor of God, the fact that the grace of God is not earned. But for me, if I look at the Bible, the favor of God is a result of doing things right. It's earned. It's earned. Everybody shouts, favor, favor, all these prophets, you know, bigger the amount of money, the more favor, you know, and all this kind of thing. Give another offering, favor. But listen, hey, 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 if you're late for work and you don't work right and you've got a bad attitude, no favor. Joseph had favor because of his attitude and his correct actions, and then he had the favor of God, and God prospered him. Is that true, church? So I don't do it for that, but I do it because I love him, but it attracts Amen. Hallelujah. We need to be conscious. Listen, church, in the midst of COVID, how are we conducting ourselves? What is our response? You know, I get so many messages. You know, there's wickedness behind it, and this is happening, and that's happening. And so, we can pray. We can pray. We can, we can do other things. But I have got such a confidence in my heart that we're going to see God turn this around. I have an absolute confidence. I like what Charles Spurgeon said. Charles Spurgeon, the Prince of Preachers, said this. You don't have to defend a lion. Just open the cage. We try and get in there and we're trying to defend. Yeah, yeah. Let's do this. Let's do that. Prayer chains are going on all over the world. 24-7 prayer chains. People are standing up against unrighteousness and things. Yeah, but what about the deep state and the Illuminati? Well, what about them? The power, the power in, is in us continuing to please God. That's the power. If all Christians everywhere just did what God said, this world would be a different place. So we're contributing to the whole by just saying, when you wake up in the morning, okay, say, Lord, what, what would you like me to do this morning? Who at work needs some roses today who needs prayer who needs who needs just to be told that that you love them who needs who needs what is it what do you want come on there's someone that's waiting for you to be conscious of living your life pleasing God just just raise our hands father I just speak your blessing over your people and Lord I know that I'm preaching so much to the converted this morning to to the right crowd. And Father, we in ACF really want to, we, we're conscious of it. We, That's how we want to live our lives. And Father, I want to thank you. The moment we got saved, we stepped into your pleasure. 
But more and more, Lord Jesus, we want to be of those who please God. Righteous lives please God. So awesome to think that we put a smile on your face. Not just by the fact that we accepted Jesus, but because of our lives, because of the things we do, because of the way we conduct ourselves, the, the way we say things. It just brings delight to you. That's why Paul tells us, don't grieve the Spirit. God has got emotions. Don't grieve Him by being angry and speaking the wrong things. Don't grieve, don't hurt Him. Rather, let's bring pleasure and delight to the Godhead. Father, I thank You. And Lord, as we do, I thank You that Your pleasure, Your divine favor just rests on everyone in the name of Jesus. So let His peace be your portion. That very peace of God that surpasses all understanding. Let that joy of the Holy Ghost be your portion to the full. Let that love that surpasses knowledge be the revelation that grips your heart. Let it be your motivation in all that you do. May you be conscious of a deeper level and in a new awareness the presence of God, of Emmanuel, of God with you this week. May his presence be tangible, feelable, touchable. Everywhere you go. Not only in your waking moments, but all through the night. May you have visionary type dreams. May you have prophetic encounters even in the night. In the name of the Lord Jesus. May his voice become clear to you. May this week be a week of hearing his voice. And experiencing the tenderness of his love. May it be a blessed week. May it be a week where the things of this earth grow strangely dim. In the light of his glory and his grace. May it be a week where you see God in ways that you've never seen Him, in circumstances you've never seen Him in. May you see Him in Jesus' name. Be blessed. Amen.